a range of different topics, and I suppose it's not coincidental that it's this week that we look at the topic of money and finances,、uh, because this week is is the week before our gift day. So it's not coincidental in terms of the sequencing, because if it was coincidental, we might have done money last week and time this week.、Um, however, having said that, you know, if you if you are working on the assumption that this this particular talk today, we're going to talk about things like offering and, you know, as as Steve alluded to, the famous Ron Canoli song of "Press Down, Shaken Together, When You Give, Lift Up an Offering." Give to the Lord with a hilarity and a joyful heart.、Um, well, it's not that I, I'm trying to undo that sense of giving with hilariousness and a joyful heart and a lightness in your spirit. By no means, I completely, 100% support that is how we should give. But we're not really today going to be looking at that particular aspect. We're going to be going for something a bit deeper. We're going to be looking at some underlying principles. And in planning for today. Sorry, I got a little bit keen and tried to get into it too quickly. I've not even introduced myself. So,、um, my name's Mark. I've got the privilege of being part of the leadership team here at Jubilee.、Uh, if this is your first time,、uh, I just want to echo the welcome you've already had. We love having visitors. We love having guests. We love to honour our guests. We love people to fill in the little cards, not so we can spam people, but so we can say thank you for coming. Thank you for joining with us. Um, so, if you've been once, if you've been twice, if you've been 470 times, you're equally welcome today.、Um, when I was planning for today, and we're talking about the habits of grace, the spiritual disciplines, and the role of money in our lives, the the role of money in the life of a believer, a follower of Jesus, I was led to to put together something which is about it's it's about. How our mind works. It's about the priorities we have in life. It's it's kind of like quite foundational. And I thought, in terms of what would be happening, would be this this particular message would be part of a jigsaw. It'd be something that adds to our overall sanctification. You know, as Christians, we spend our lives becoming who we became, like that in one instance when we were saved. But as we walk with God. There's a transformation. We've already made the change, but we're still being changed. And I was anticipating that today's message would be one of those things that adds to us, that helps us understand our identity in Christ, and helps transform us to be more like Him. But I'm convinced this morning from the prophetic words and and how we've interacted with God already in the worship that it's more than. Just something that will add to us and be part of our process of growing as a Christian. I think for some people today, there's, there's deliverance that this this area of finance and money has been one of the things in some people's lives that is baggage. You know, I, in no meant meant to be flippant earlier when I said you know there's so much baggage. I just simply was trying to explain there are things that block, there are things that hold us, and. And I came with the mindset of thinking, you know, this will be good, and this will be part of the process of being changed. But we also believe in deliverance. We believe in change in the twinkling of an eye. You know, we we believe in a God who can unlock situations like that. And I really believe this morning that God has already been preparing the situation, preparing people to come to a point where 
right now this morning, you can receive something that completely changes the way you see your finances, completely changes the stress that you're in at the moment because you're released. So God has got release for people this morning. So we're going to start today in Genesis 12, and uh, we're going to look at two figures. We're going to look at Abram, who then becomes known as Abraham, and we're going to look at Melchizedek. And we're going to use these two characters to, to unpick some principles behind money, the money we have, and the way we handle it in our lives. Uh, so in Genesis 12, it says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And it's really important we have the next line as well. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And when we read this, like, it's not remotely ambiguous, you know. It's not, so what's the source of Abraham's blessing? There's no kind of like, well, you know, I think it might be because Abraham was born of a certain lineage. I think maybe, maybe Abraham was particularly gifted at herding and bringing sheep together and that allowed him to accumulate wealth and be a blessing to other people. Maybe, maybe they were just a set of freak circumstances that, that interacted to catapult Abraham to a sort place where, where he was blessed. No, it's, it's just really, really clear. God is the source of Abraham's blessing. God is the source. And for me and for you, actually, it's exactly the same. You know, you might have worked, uh, you, might, you might have been good at, at school, you might have been particularly good at maths or sciences, you might have got a good degree and you might have got a good job in that field and it suits your intellect and it suits your personality type and you might get a good wage every month from a particular employer. And you might think, um, you know, BAE systems are my source. Well, they're not. Your source is God. God is the source of finance in your life. You might think, well, look, I'm in a particular circumstance in life, but I work hard, I'm productive and I'm fruitful, and I spend my time caring for my wider family, and I work hard at that, but my source is my disability payments, so my source is the UK government. Well, no, not at all. Different circumstance, working equally hard, but your source is still the Lord. God is our source. Now, he's not a limited source. You know, if, you, if your phone's um, like, like going down and you buy a cheap power bank and you, you plug it in and it, it's like it's on 30% or something and and you come back half an hour later and it's on like 31% and you think, oh no, I'm never going to get what I need out of this thing. Um, it's, not, it's not sufficient to cover my needs. Or those sockets that you get in the free charging places and you, you plug it in and it's kind of like, is there an amp coming out of that thing? I'm not even sure. It's like, that's the source, but the source does not have sufficient to meet my needs. God is not like that. For all of us in this room, the source of our finance is God. 
but he is not a limited source. My daughter, Amy, uh, I, th I think she's out, but she went to New Day a couple of years ago, and Adrian Holloway spoke, and he was trying to explain to the teenagers how it is with giving. And he, he brought in this huge plate of Krispy Kreme donuts, and he was trying to explain, he said, you know, if I, if I had a Krispy Kreme donut, and I gave it away, I could satisfy the sugar cravings of perhaps one, maybe even two teenagers, but I couldn't satisfy a whole room full of teenagers. And he was saying, but because I've got this huge plate of Krispy Kreme donuts, I can satisfy the sugar cravings of so many teenagers. But then he took it to the next level and he said, you know what, God is the God of all the donuts. God has got all the donuts. Anyone who needs sugar can come to God. He has enough donuts for everyone. It says in the Bible, in Psalm 50, uh, verse 10, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Our source is not a limited source. And that's poetry. In hill number 1001, guess who owns the cattle? It's God. It's, it's a limitless source. God is, God is like, God is better than cold fusion. He, he has got, um, what's the word, an infinite, an infinite provision. Um, and it's also like this. It, or it's also not like this. You know in The Simpsons, this is Mr. Burns, or to give him his full name, Charles Montgomery Monty Burns. Uh, he's, he's the guy who owns the nuclear power plant. If you don't watch the yellow people, just... just Tune out for a minute, because um, you've got no chance of getting this one. But um, Mr. Burns is incredibly wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. He has enough to provide for all the needs of the good townsfolk of Springfield. He has the resource. But he doesn't have the inclination. He does not have the inclination to share what he has with the people of Springfield. In fact, it turns out he's a bit of a miser and a misery. But God not only has the provision, but as well as having the provision, he has the heart towards his people to supply their needs from his glorious riches. So in Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people. And he's saying, look, if you look at the flowers, if you look at the lilies in the field, look at the way they're covered. Look at the, look at the beautiful kind of patterning they've got. Some of you, you're worried about, will God, will God give me clothes? If he's taking care of the lilies like that, how much more so will he care for his people and make sure his people have provision? So God is our source and his heart is towards his people to provide for them. So... So at this stage, what we, what we need to understand is the money in our pockets, which for me is, is £2.20, the, the money in our pockets is not ours. It, it's come to us from God, whether that was from an employer, from an agency, from a donation, or we just found it in the gutter. It's, it's from God. Um, and if you think about it, you know, who would you rather have supplying your needs? There's one preacher who talks about people, says, with, with, with your peanut brain. You know, who would, who would you rather have supplying your finance? Yourself, with your own skills, your own ability, your peanut brain, working and striving as hard as you can to make what you can make, 
Or would you rather receive from the one who has everything and the one who has a benevolent father's heart towards you? And, and when we understand that what we have is from God, it releases us from the striving. You know, they talk about get all you can and can all you get. That very, very human concept of, well, I need to work hard with the abilities and the strength that I've got in order to provide for myself and those around me. As Christians, we're released from that. As Christians, we move from a mentality of being self-driven to a mentality of receiving what is God-given. And it's about moving from getting all we can and canning what we get to having an attitude of gratitude. But going back to Abraham, and in that scripture thing, you know, it is, it is really important. God is very clear talking to Abraham. God is very clear that he is our source. But in this scripture we read, so Abraham went. And it's not that God is our source and the way we receive from him is just to simply chill out and sit in the deck chair and let the blessings roll in and let the finance accumulate in our bank accounts. We are active participants in that story of God's grace towards us. And in the same way Abraham went, there is a... Um, fruitful labor for us to be involved in that releases that flow of God's provision into our life. Uh, in, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And uh, in, in Genesis 18, we've got another little episode, which I love. It, it, it shows us about how Abraham related to God and how Abraham was able to, to really get a hold of how God was his source because of his understanding of who God was. And uh, let me read it to you. At the start of Genesis 18, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. And, and as that passage goes on, it becomes clear these three men are God. And, and in this interaction, as Abraham welcomes them into his home and, and provides a meal for them, they prophesy to him and say, you will have a son. And at this point, I think Abraham is 99 years old, and his wife is 75 years old and past childbearing age. But indeed, within one year, they have a son. But what's really interesting is I'm not sure if I met three visitors in the middle of the day, I would immediately know they were God. But Abraham knew these visitors were God. He knew God. Now, you know, this, is, this blows my mind. These three people, is it God and two angels? Is, is, it, um, is it a Christology? Is it a prefiguring of Christ in the Old Testament? You know, we've got the whole of the Bible and all the books that have been written about it and we're still asking those questions. Abraham knew the answer just looking at them and he wasn't even expecting for them to rock up on that particular day. And, and, and in this thing, you know, Abraham lives in a hot country and uh, in the heat of the day, he was sitting at the entrance to his tent. You know, it's a bit like sitting by the dock of the bay. This isn't a one-off thing for Abraham, is it? 
sitting in the heat of the day, in the shade, in the entrance of his tent, that's something that he's done many, many times. You know, in the same way that Otis Redding sat on the dock, I'm not sure if Otis Redding really ever did sit on the dock of the bay, but, but let, let's just make out he did. You know, he sat there and watched the ships roll out and watched the ships roll in. Well, guess what? Abraham, he wasn't daydreaming. He didn't spend his life sat daydreaming as he whiled away two hours as, as the, the temperature was just far too hot to go out and, and care for the herds. We, we heard in this series a talk by Dan about silence and solitude. You know, this is what I believe. Abraham was in communion with God. Abraham spent his time knowing who his God was. Abraham spent his time understanding who God was. And from that understanding, from that deeper knowledge, from that relationship, he was able to accept that God was his source. And yes, we've looked at the finances, but also in terms of the, you will have a son. He couldn't get his head around it. He's way too old to have a son, but he knows God. And if God says it's true, he knows it must be true because he knows God. In the, in the New Testament, there's, there's a really nice little bit when Saul um, is on the way to um, Damascus and he sees this blinding light and he's immediately like, like dumbstruck and, and he goes to the city of Damascus and he's blinded and God speaks to a disciple and God says, uh, Ananias, and Ananias says, yes, God. And, uh, you know, that, that is the picture of how we should be a people, a people who spend time with God and know his voice. And there's something, there's something for us to take hold of here, you know. When it comes to understanding that what we have comes from the Lord, when that percolates down from our brain into the rest of our being, when we rest in his presence and we know who he is, there's a release. What I have comes from God and I know God, it's going to be okay. It's, going to be, it's tough at the moment, but I know it's going to be okay because I know where my source is and I know my source has infinite resources. And I don't just know it because someone told me or I read it on a page. I know it because I know him. I know it because it's in every fiber of my being. And, and, and as we develop... As we develop in this area, it changes us. It changes our view of finance. Instead of holding on like this, we hold on like this. Um, it says in 1 Peter 1.28 that we're born of an imperishable seed. And then, and then in, in Peter 2.11, it, it describes us as being aliens and strangers. And actually, yeah, that's true, isn't it? I mean, what I'm describing is not the cultural norm in this country. And, uh, you know, Steve talked about cultural norms, and he said, you know, that, that we have some certain things about time that are valuable, but other cultures have different views that are valuable. But in this country, we need to function in our culture. And, and that's true, you know, and, and the same is in true of finances. You know, we need to pay taxes, we need to pay parking fines and things like that. We need to function in our culture. But at the same time, 
We represent a kingdom counterculture. We represent a superior culture. And as we demonstrate the culture that we have that comes from God, we inspire the nations to jealousy. We're, we're changed by our attitude, um, and our attitude becomes a beacon of hope for others. So my first point, perhaps just to relieve you, I better say there are only two points. Uh, my first point is what is in our hands and in our pockets is God's. It comes from him to us, and we're currently stewards of it. And it's to meet our needs, and it's to be a blessing for all peoples of the earth. And just before we go on to point number two, I, I do want to ju- just kind of like emphasize that there is a potential pitfall, that as we embrace that it's God's, and I've already touched on this, that actually that doesn't, that doesn't remove from us any obligation to do anything, you know, We understand that God has infinite riches, so that doesn't mean we don't need to get actively involved. I mean, it puts it really bluntly in Thessalonians. It just says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Um, It's it's kind of like simple. Now, you know, we know work means many, many different things. And in terms of being, you know, a kingdom counterculture, we value everyone who works fruitfully equally. It doesn't matter whether that is caring, whether that is volunteering, whether that is paid employment. The shape and what it looks like is not important. The heart attitude and that we are doing the things that God has for us is is all that matters. But in the same way that Abraham had to take some steps, we recognize that we also needs to be fruitfully involved in working to release everything that God's got for us. So, so with the starting point, and Steve put this, this really great at the start of the offering, is at the starting point is what we have has come from God. When we talk about offerings or giving, really every single time, what we're actually talking about is just giving back. You know, it's giving back. It's not giving from what we have, It's giving from what we have received. It's giving from what we are holding. Um, So let's get back into into Abraham. And if if we pick up in Genesis 12, Abraham then, with Lot, moved into an area called Bethel. And then they had this kind of brief foray into Egypt. And uh, that, you know, wasn't their greatest point. And then they came back to Bethel, but God had been blessing them, and they'd been increasing, and their herds were greater, and and the place that they were was no longer big enough for the two of them. Um, So Lot is is, um, Abraham's nephew, and Abraham, I think, feels a kind of like, a kind of like, you know, fatherly responsibility towards him. So the area where they are is not sufficient, and their herdsmen are kind of like saying, no, I need to graze there. Well, you can't graze there. I need to graze there. And, and clearly there isn't enough space. And they say, look, we need to do this really well. Why don't you choose out of all this land where you want to go, and then I'll go to the other bit? So Abraham gives that choice to Lot, and Lot looks around, and there's the fertile valley, which has these small, and they're called cities, but they're probably like fortified little villages. And, and Lot says, I'll go there into the valley. And Abraham 
says, okay, and he goes off into the hill country, or the kind of like rolling hills, um, and it should all be going great, and they should all be able to settle, but in, the, in these valleys, all these small little fortified cities, these, these kind of like small towns, they are being subjugated by a, an external king. Now, I'll, I cannot say his name, um, so let me, let me look it up. In fact, can we have the next screen, the next slide? Um, yeah, Kurdolama, or anyway, something beginning with K. So, all the different cities that are in the area that Lot has settled have been subjugated by the king beginning with K. Um, and, and basically, after about a dozen years, they say, you know, we've had enough of this. And they're probably paying taxes to him or something like that. So they rebel. And uh, he doesn't particularly like that because he was probably enjoying getting the tax income. So he goes down into the valleys, Kurdalama, and wages war on the kings in the valleys. And Lot's caught up in this, and Lot is taken prisoner as well. Now Abraham, who now is in a different area, um, says this is not right. And, and he guy, uh, gathers his fighting men together, of whom he has about 315, which gives us an idea of the blessing that he's established, that he's become a kind of rich pastoral chieftain. Um, and, he, and he goes and he defeats this king, um, beginning with K, and, and rescues Lot and brings him back. And as he's returning to the area, we have this particular encounter in Genesis 14. And this particular encounter introduces us to the second character that we're going to look at today, who is Melchizedek. So if we read um, in Genesis 14, chapter 17. After Abraham returned from defeating Kudalama and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Interesting, the king of Sodom then tries to negotiate getting something for himself as well, to which Abraham politely says, On your bike. So... So this is really, really fascinating. Melchizedek is a name that has not come up in the Bible before. It's mentioned in the Old Testament one other time in Psalms. And then suddenly we get to the book of Hebrews and it's mentioned 12 times in one chapter. There's, there's a significance to this character. Now, to fully understand this, we, we've got to understand a few things. So, so Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And it says he is a priest of the Lord Most High. How, how this king came into a relationship with God, we've got no idea. You know, but the Lord Most High, El Elyon, is the same word for God as, we, as is used consistently throughout the Old Testament. You know, he's a servant of God. He's a servant of God and he's a king of righteousness. 
Where, people say he's the cotton-eyed Joe of the Old Testament. You know, where did he come from? Where did he go? Nobody knows. But I think they cheapen it to use that, so I won't use that language. He's, he's this mystery character. But clearly, he is greater than Abraham. We see from this interaction, he comes out to Abraham and he gives Abraham the blessing. And he gives the bread and wine to Abraham. And in response, out of his complete free will and volition, Abraham, as an act of worship, gives an offering. And again, you know, to fully understand the context, we've got to understand like this is not Old Testament law. Moses hasn't happened. The law, the tablets haven't come down. The Levites, the priesthood, have not yet been established. The, you should give this, you should give that. This is how it is. This, this, this law, this written law, this rules and regulations to help people be righteous has not happened. Yet here we have a giving, a response, a response to grace and a response, a free will response. And, and this is the pattern. You know, all the law does, all the rules and the regulations do, are show us that the law cannot bring life. The law shows us that we are condemned. The law shows us that we cannot keep the law. When Jesus comes, it says Jesus comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Now, I didn't really fully understand that phrasing that Jesus comes to fulfill the law. But when you look in a few different translations of those, of those words in the Bible, a more helpful translation is to say that Jesus comes to achieve the purpose of the law. So the law's purpose is to get people right with God. But it doesn't do it because people are unable to follow it and unable to become right with God through the law. But Jesus comes to fulfill the law, to achieve its purpose. And we, you know, we read throughout Hebrews 7 that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, so my second point is this, it's knowing that what we have is from God how do we give back from what we have received? And the answer is, how do we give back from what we have received? The answer is, we give back in exactly the same way Abraham gave to Melchizedek. We give back to one who is superior. We give back to one who is blessing us. And we give back not out of a compulsion, but out of a free will. Not out of a rule or regulation or legalism, but out of a release, out of a relationship. So our mindset of giving is not based around what we ought or should do. It's, it's based around what we can and what we want to do. And consistently throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to be generous. We're encouraged to be cheerful givers. But we would not be able to achieve that if we have a law mindset. If we have a law mindset, all we could ever hope to do is to try to be cheerful givers, to try to be um, generous givers, to try to be hilarious givers. But if our mindset is rooted in law, 
there will always be legalism. There will always be compulsion. And we may not even, you know, because that's, you know, this is real life. This is maybe how some of you give. This is how maybe some of us give. And we may not ever tell anyone because everyone else seems to be quite smiling and happy and we know it's a good thing to do and we kind of like, we know we should be, so we do. And we know we should be like released and, and you know, like, like joyful on the inside, but we aren't. But we don't tell anybody because we know we should be because there's a root of legalism. There's a root of law. And God wants to replace that. You know, God wants to replace that with a right understanding that it's, that it's entirely in grace. Entirely in grace. It's rooted in a graceful encounter with one who is greater than ourselves. And our response is that we lay at his feet a portion of what we have in our hands or in our pockets or in our bank accounts. So let's pray. I've got two prayers. I've got one I wrote.